When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. On the Memphis Tigers Sports Network, from Learfield IMG College, this is Inside Memphis Athletics, the official podcast of the Memphis Tigers. Now, here's Jeff Brightwell. Our guest today is Isaiah Jackson, as he has returned to Memphis now as an assistant coach, and uh, a little bit different now, I imagine. Isaiah, you know, formerly in a, in a locker room, out training now in one of the coaches' offices. Absolutely. Uh, it feels a little weird to be on this side of things. It doesn't <laughs> seem like it was too too long ago that I was playing and, you know, grinding and getting ready for tournaments, but I'm in a whole other arena now but for the same program, but it's a little different view on things. You really look back at it, and as you mentioned, it, it wasn't that long ago. What, 20? Uh, was it wrapping up your collegiate play for you? You made the uh, – Made the jump, played a little little pro golf, and got into coaching. Yeah, so I finished – I graduated in 20, and, of course, with COVID, I had mm-hmm. that extra semester left. And so come back and, and did that, which wasn't much a semester because we all got COVID and I missed like half the season. Yeah. So kind of a weird ending. But, yeah, I played professionally uh, for a short stint. Um, you know, unfortunately I had an injury and couldn't do that anymore. But I got into coaching that next year, and it's been it's been absolutely great. Let's talk about that a little since you're one of the uh, you're you're going to be one of the athletes who wrapped it up during the uh, the COVID time. You got that extra that extra year, and of course, mm-hmm. there's cancellations. And I know a lot of people are going to take a look at athletes that play during COVID on the big team sports. You're all in the same locker room, you're all on the field or the court together mm-hmm. or the diamond together. Sports like a tennis or a golf or some other sports are looked at a little bit more individual out on the course, but that that didn't take away that you guys still had to do all the procedures. You still had to get Absolutely. the swab up the nose, was, still had to do the mask and still, you know, 
Guess cross your fingers each week you guys can get to play. Absolutely. So we I remember when we had talked about doing the testing and all the procedures and got to stay inside our bubble. That was so big at that point. Um, yeah, the, the my least favorite part by far was we not only did we do weekly testing or biweekly testing, then we switched to self-testing. Mm-hmm. So we had to have a trainer watch us stick those freaking long swabs <laughs> up our nostrils, and it was painful and annoying, but – yeah, I mean, we still ha- we still followed all the same procedures. The big the big teams. I think what helped our sport though is we actually got to be outside in nature, mm-hmm. away from people. Which at that time people were just starting to really get into golf. So sometimes places were full, sometimes they weren't. Um, but yeah, I mean, we we still had a tight knit group, and that year was really weird, <laughs> but it was fun in different ways. Just because we didn't play in the fall, we played in the spring, and then well, I got. COVID really bad, wasn't able to play. Some of my teammates were fine. I had a t- teammate get injured, have back issues. It was just a crazy year on top of COVID. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, the procedures were, were not the most fun, but I mean, it's it was COVID. We were doing whatever we could to not get it. <laughs> I, I, I guess since you had to deal with all that stuff, the, the, the routine testing, doing the mask, will you play, will you not? What's training going to be like? Mm-hmm. Who can be here? It probably made some of the, the things that that you thought were – not fun and all oh, this stinks or that stinks prior to COVID. Yes. Not a big deal anymore. It's like, I don't, I don't mind doing this anymore Absolutely. as long as we just get to practice and compete. Absolutely. Uh, I think the not competing that fall was the biggest thing. Uh, that, and then also, I mean, I don't know if this was really portrayed uh, across the board, but somewhat fearful of getting it because right. nobody really knew at that time what was yeah. going to happen. Like, I remember Coach Smart, we had talked about, like, hey, they're cutting programs. Like, we we need to be careful with this. So we're like, oh, shoot, like, if we go hang out at a restaurant downtown that's open, like, are we going to get in tr- – like, are we going to get it and shut right. the program down? So, you know, you kind of always have that in the back of your mind. But you're right. I mean, we're very fortunate to work out at Laurie Walton, mm-hmm. uh, which has been great. And my, my strength coach, Coach Darby, is back. Right. So that's super cool. Um, but we, we worked out on the range for the whole fall semester, which was – okay i mean it was scorching hot in august <laughs> but uh it makes you really appreciate which is hard not to appreciate laurie walton but it makes you really appreciate being yeah. able to work out inside <laughs> so yeah for sure there's some things that you take for granted that you wouldn't normally until COVID happened you're like okay that's actually really great and i didn't know how great i had it well, you, you guys are fortunate and you don't think of this i think when you're a student athlete you're fortunate in a sense you talked about some of the bigger athletic programs around the country there was a lot of cutting of programs back mm-hmm. during that year but when you look at and here uh, at the university, I think we're one over the minimum. So there's really, and you're not, you don't know that as an athlete, but you're you're pretty safe as not having the program cut. But I know in the back of your mind, you don't want to do anything to uh, to put anything in jeopardy. Absolutely, and I didn't know that. I didn't yeah. know we were one over the minimum. So, uh, but I mean, again, you know, it didn't matter where you were at. Nobody right. was really safe from the repercussions of COVID and what monetarily what that did to mm-hmm. whole athletic departments, uh, and so. You know, it was just a – yeah, I didn't know that, though. If I'd have known that, I probably would have felt a little bit better about it. But, I mean, Coach – I mean, we do, I don't know whether they knew that or not. I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the place I just came from, they had cut their yeah. – I think they cut their baseball team yeah. during COVID. And so, like – and baseball was an integral part at where I – you know, at Bowling Green. Like, mm-hmm. it was a, a pretty a big program. I don't know at the time they cut it how it was doing. But, yeah, they got it back, but they did cut it. 
Well, they could still cut it. I mean, you, you, yeah. you, you would hate to have gotten cut and the next year Tiger Bowling shows up and they just replaced the, the, the sport, so that could have exactly. happened. But exactly. r- real quick before we move on, because it's, it's uh, always find it kind of curious and interesting to to ask, what what were other procedures like? Because we know equipment and, and other sports that had to be disinfected constantly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think for the casual golfer that goes over here to Auburn or Galilee or over, and, well, yeah. there's a ball washer out there every now and then, but – you guys, I mean, I don't think people realize the amount of training you do, how much the the handles, the shafts, the, yeah. the golf balls, everything else get used and just gets yeah. touched. And it's, it's uh, you know, I think people I kind of stereotype it and, well, it's a white-collar sport. It's not a big <laughs> yeah. deal. There's a lot of sweat, a lot of stuff going sure. on around here in your training as well. For sure. I mean, uh, again, I think us just having to be outside to train mm-hmm. helps us tremendously. Um, there wasn't as much mask wearing going on as other play, like other programs like rifle. You know, mm-hmm. if they're inside, which I don't know how much time they actually spend. I'm sure it's a, all the time inside. A, is it the Finch? Is that what the, I can't remember what it's called. No, the, the, the rifle. Or the rifle. Yeah. Sorry, I can't remember what it's. It's not the Finch. That's volleyball. Yeah. You can tell I haven't been in a while. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, luckily for us, we just had to wear our mask while we're walking through. Mm-hmm. And then you're taking it off when we're outside because we're so far apart. Not really having to worry about being within that six-foot mm-hmm. zone at the time. Um, you know, uh, the biggest thing, though, from for all of us, I think golfers across the board would agree, is the lack of water on golf courses. Yeah. So, like, when when COVID was happening and everybody's afraid to touch anything and everything, they just got rid of water, like, the water uh, right. stations on golf courses. So, like, you better be packing up with <laughs> lots of water and hydration on the golf course or you're going to be struggling after nine. I mean, forget about 18. Uh, I think that was the biggest challenge really for us was staying hydrated in the hot months with no water on yeah. the golf course because uh, i mean again you like we're scared to death to touch anything so but yeah i mean it was relatively easy from uh you know our lockers are separated and you just wear your mask inside and it was i mean that was basically it for us let's talk about how the games the the sport has changed a little bit we talked with blake smart earlier this year a little bit about it since you mentioned you know trying to stay hydrated and, and keep going uh, throughout the weekend or the week on course, golf back in the day used to kind of be looked at as the 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 John Daly, the Craig Stadler types, yeah. the Fuzzy Zellers. Let's walk out, hit you the clubhouse uh, after we get through nine. Maybe get out there yeah. in an hour. Now, uh, and you're just coming off playing college and pro golf. It's mm-hmm. it's different. You talked about Darby being the Finch. It's it's you know you're you're training to be. Fit now, and it's been Absolutely. that way the, the last probably 15 to 25 years, whether you're yep. at the collegiate level or the pro level. Yeah, I think everybody would agree it really started with Tiger. Mm-hmm. Um, he was kind of at the forefront. I say kind of. He was at the forefront of, you know, strength training and golf. And so since him, it has completely changed. And not only has it gotten better, but kids are younger now mm-hmm. that have started doing this. Uh, you know, with the addition of PGA Tour U, you're seeing all these young guys coming out of college uh, going whether it's straight to the PGA Tour or the Corn Ferry or whatever, they're having success right away. And I think a lot of it has to do with uh, how well they've been trained and disciplined throughout their early career. And so there's not much of a gap to bridge between a freshman in college and a 23-year-old anymore is what it seems. Now, those guys I'm talking about are like your you know top 15 in the country, you know top amateurs in the world. But I think that gap has continually gotten smaller and smaller just because of the knowledge of how to do things and when to do them and why we should do them. Uh, I think on a strength conditioning side, it has made a world of difference 
Um, and then on top of that, you know, people are learning more now, the golf swing and all the technology. I mean, I don't know how I feel about technology quite. I like it a little bit, but some people are gung ho on it and right. great for them because it works. Um, but I mean, it's just, there's been so many advancements with the golf swing and the golf technology and strength conditioning in golf. I think that's, we'll continue to see. And that's why we're seeing now, uh, this short period of time that it takes guys to like make it professionally. And by professionally, I mean like corn Ferry and PGA tour. Right. So yeah, it's been, it's been kind of wild. It's changed a lot since I've been yeah. there. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I, I'm sure too. It didn't take a lot of research or statistical information to look probably over the last 10, 15 years, whether you were a high school golfer playing, say, 18 or 36, or college playing 54, or pros playing you know, 54, 72, as it is uh, now over a weekend or a week, to see that fitness level is incredibly important because you could probably look, how are my last 18 holes compared to the first 18? Because people that haven't done it, it looks like, well, I'm just walking and grabbing a club you're out there, say, in the heat today, and we're talking in late July. Absolutely. See how that wears on you. And you guys at the college level are playing, what, 30? Th- remember, all right, 36 holes a, a, a day, not yeah. just the weekend. You'll walk yeah. out on that stuff. You better be at peak physical condition. Absolutely. So I literally, right before you got here, I just had a conversation with um, one of my former teammates, a good friend of mine. He's in there practicing right now. Uh, Mitchell Bolin talking about how just the slightest bit of weight that you drop or more conditioning that you do helps and how much that limits you mm-hmm. and how you can perform. Uh, I can remember <laughs> this may be a little graphic for some, but it's not super graphic. I remember when I when Coach Darby first got hired and uh, on Fridays, that was our circuit days and we all freaking hated circuit days like they were <laughs> terrible. I think I threw up every Friday for a month for circuit days. But by the time we got the mid of the season, like, I'm good to go. Yeah. Like, I was good to go. Um, condi- Conditioning-wise, you know, that 36-hole day, I don't really like it, but we have to do that. I mean, we can't have our guys missing three or four days of class yeah. and whatnot. Um, but you got have to you have to be in really, really good physical condition to be able to handle that. 11 hours in the beating sun – you know, you're pounding water, you're trying to eat, and you're trying to perform at a high level. So you have to push yourself hard in the gym to be able to go all out when you're when it matters, when it really matters. So, um, yeah, it's it's majorly important. What was the experience like uh, here? I'm sure it was good. You come out of Meridian. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But uh, you come on the backside of playing a uh, junior college ball down mm-hmm. in Mississippi and had just, just wild success here as you look at your – your numbers, uh, you're all American here. You've got plenty of records. Then you're able to parlay that onto playing some some pro, uh, some pro golf. So tell us about the experience playing for Coach Smart, playing at Memphis. Man, it was it was great. Uh, it was definitely a learning curve, just like any kind of jump you make in any profession or any hobby when you're when you're getting better. And mm-hmm. this is not a hobby. Like I've I've pursued it as a profession. Um, so yeah, I mean, just the differences from. Anything from equipment all the way to strength conditioning to golf courses played to the amount of golf played, um, it was all. I mean, it was completely different um, in a lot of ways from junior college. But I loved it. I grew so much here as a player and as a person. Um, you know, matured a lot as well. So um, I can remember coming here, and I think one of the first conversations I had with Coach Smart, 
is he just looked me dead in the face and was like, your wedges suck and they need to get better. And yeah. I was like, okay, well, what do we have to do? So we went out on the wedge range and, I mean, my wedges were the weakest part of my game when I got here and I took pride in my wedge game by the time I left, um, which says a lot to him and, and Will before me because I was with Will as well. Um, but their knowledge of the game, Coach Smart's knowledge of the game, how it needs to be played, I mean, it, it transferred to me well, obviously, and – uh, I couldn't be more thankful and grateful to have played under him and now be working under him. So I'm looking forward to that. That's something you like right at the bat. This guy's pretty honest. He's pretty blunt. He's Absolutely. just going to tell me because it'd be easy as a coach in a, in a sport like golf to go, well, he's a good putter. He drives it well. He'll make up the strokes there. Who cares about the wedge yeah. game? But yeah. you, you can really improve so much tweaking little things like that. Absolutely. I mean, even before I committed and, and came to Memphis on my visit, uh, he looked at me and said, what's your goal? Like, what do you want to do with golf? And I was kind of, at that time, I was still hesitant to say, like, I want to play professionally because mm-hmm. I don't I don't like to brag on myself. I don't want to come across as cocky. And he was like, well, I hope that's your goal because I want kids that want to play professionally. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, that's the first time I think I've heard that from a coach, yeah. you know. Um, and I, there are a lot of coaches that want that, and they should. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was just, uh, it was kind of, it took me a little while to adjust to that bluntness because I'd never been around mm-hmm. it before, but it is, I can't express how much I appreciate it because there's a lot of people that sugarcoat it. And like you said, just kind of try to meet the needs of everybody and make everybody happy. And he's not afraid to just tell you like, Hey, this is terrible. You need to get it better. And then we'll go figure out how to get yeah. it better. Um, I think that's something that's going to be lost over the continuing years as people don't take well of that bluntness and it, it needs to be greatly appreciated. You yeah. need somebody that's going to be, honest with you because there's a lot of people if you are successful that'll jump on your coattails and tell you how good you are and all that kind of stuff to to kind of like get a little bit of money if you're making yeah. it so but yeah i it, it's a very good thing well well too i imagine i've talked to, to coach smart and some other coaches here this summer about that in, in sports whether it's individual or the big team sports for athletes that really do have serious aspirations because you do have to probably coach them a little bit different because mm-hmm. They've got to know, and you know this because you've played at high levels, and people that have been successful at high levels know that really it's not always fun. The The process of getting there is not fun just to get the, the short-term glory of winning a tournament or yeah. getting a pro card or something like that. There's a lot of monotonous, repeatable work that you have to do, as well as my friends who – are here to go to school and play golf, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. They may be going out tonight. I can't. I've got to get to bed. I've absolutely. They're gonna go uh, go eat here. Go do this. I've got to eat this way. I've got to keep my nutrition yeah. check. I've got to do the extra workouts, little things like that. And well, let's face it, when you've got to make those decisions, those aren't fun decisions to make at that point, especially when you're your college mm-hmm. age, because there's that. I'm a college. It's time to have fun. Absolutely. I mean. <laughs> That's so true. I don't think you could have said it any better. It's with success, there comes sacrifice yeah. and you have to determine what's worth sacrificing the amount of birthdays and family get togethers and all that stuff that I missed was, it wasn't even a question. You know, it wasn't even like, a, Oh, I, I, maybe I can't No, Like this is my job. This is what I'm set out to do. This is what I got to do. Um, yeah, it's people don't realize that though. You know, they see the, they see the glory, I think is what mm-hmm. you said. And, and the shine that comes from, the success, but they don't they don't see the early mornings and the workouts that you hate, but you make yourself go do. Like it's just part of it's part of it. We had we had a saying when I was in junior college, 
um, kind of jokingly, but then it came like, but kind of serious. It's like, is, is there such a thing as the grind, you know, like grinding, working hard, if that's all you know? Yeah. Like if the grind is all you know, then is there really the grind per se? And so that was kind of the mentality we took at junior college. We were just kind of gritty and whatever and just – there wasn't much to do in junior college, yeah. so we practiced all the time. But even when I came here, it's like, if that's all you know, then it shouldn't be anything of something new to you or like, oh, I have to do this again today. It's like, no, it's just what you do. Like, you wake up and that's what you do. It's your job. So, You mentioned uh, junior college. So you, you you play down at Meridian, and I know it with my uh, background in baseball because they have a nationally prominent baseball program down mm-hmm. there. But how valuable was the junior college experience because – even though Meridian's a great junior college, and there are a lot of great junior colleges, as you mentioned, once you get to Division One, yep. there's a lot more resources. Doesn't matter how big the junior college program is, the the one A school just has more money, a little bit more resources, and there there's something inherent about not having something for a couple of years. Where mm-hmm. at that point, you pro- there probably is a little grind. There's not maybe the bucket of balls waiting if you're on the driving range. And there's not little things like that. that It's easy for for people that don't have to go the junior college route might take for granted. Absolutely. I think some of the things that I despise the most in this life is some of the things we had to do at junior college to have privileges to play. We used to go fill divots and fix divots on the greens and pick ranges, and I freaking hated it. But I'm very glad that we were made to do that because yeah. we couldn't have done, you know, we couldn't have practiced it where we practiced if we couldn't have. But uh, sometimes you have to give to get a little bit. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was complete. It was completely different. You know, we didn't have just a ton of money, but my coach, Coach Ronnie Key and uh, David Rosenbaum, like they busted their butts to fundraise. We fundraised, um, put in a lot of effort to make sure we had everything we needed and. Uh, they did a good job as you know taking us to good tournaments and having us really prepared um but i think i think for me too that mindset uh that i had in junior college kind of came before as well cuz i i kind of felt at the time that i got snubbed a little bit mm-hmm. you know coming out of high school looking back now i was completely ignorant cuz i just <laughs> wasn't good enough and uh so i said it i made it a point to like prove like i can freaking do this yeah. like i can i'm good enough to play division 1 golf and so you know, with backing from my family and, you know, thank God he was with me every step of the way. Like I could not have done it. Uh, you know, I'm a very religious and, uh, I'm a Christian and having, you know, believing that that's what I was set out to do, that I was part of my path is what God wanted me to do. I was like, I'm going to do this, like come hell or high water, like I'm freaking doing it. And so I kind of had that grit, you know, in my freshman year and it was almost just reckless abandonment, uh, at first. And then we started narrowing it down, but, yeah, I mean, just the junior college scene, I think anybody would agree, like, it is not the most beautiful world of roses and all this money and, you know, that we have to travel and use whatever and unlimited resources. You just kind of, like, understand, like, hey, this is what we got and this is what we're set out to do. Um, yeah, showing up here first day of school and my locker just full of stuff. I was like, this is freaking Christmas in August. <laughs> I have not seen this much gear ever in my life. It's amazing. Um, but you appreciate those times. Yeah. Sometimes when you have the least, those are the most fun moments in your yeah. life. <laughs> you know, you just find stuff to do. And especially if you're close to your teammates, which I was, all of us were from Mississippi. So, uh, yeah, very appreciative for those days. Um, definitely added to the the fuel or added fuel to the fire like that got me here. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I, I talk to people all the time. Like those two years were the best two years of my life. Like, 
I loved it here in Memphis. Will always be appreciative for my time in Memphis, but junior college was it was something. It's like that that first fast food job or something someone has <laughs> would not want to do it again. But what a great experience is when you look back on it, and and that had to play because you look at your your career at Meridian. You're the uh, Mississippi Junior College Player of the Year, All American a couple of times down there, five time medalist, top tens, uh, seventeen out of nineteen tournaments. You you still have plenty of junior college, not just to the school national junior college records. Did did you did you kind of get a sense, or do you look back at it all now and go, well, the days I was picking the course or replacing divots, that kind of made me a little bit maybe a little bit mentally tougher once I got out into competition because I'm used to doing the hard stuff. Very much. I mean, it's the same as like working out to me as well. It's like not everybody loves to work out, mm-hmm. uh, but you got to do it. You just there's some things in life that you just have to do regardless if you want to do them or not. And trust me, none of us wanted to be out there filling divots and picking up <laughs> golf balls and jeans in August because yeah. we're in thick grass to our waist, get scratched up by briars. Like none of us wanted to do that, um, but it's just what we had to do. And uh, I think I think that does translate into golf because sometimes to relate it, and I, I guess to golf is you're going to hit bad shots and there's going to be bad breaks and you can do absolutely nothing about mm-hmm. it. And so you just have to carry on and keep chugging along and. Uh, keep sticking to the process and understand that it's all part of that journey, uh, which picking the range and doing the unnecessary like things I didn't want to do were part of the journey. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it definitely relates to golf and mental toughness and just too bad. Like it's just part of it. <laughs> all right. Growing up in uh golden Mississippi, what's, what's golden Mississippi like? Um, well, it's nothing like Memphis, right? We have hardly anything, no Walmart, no, Movie theater, no bowling alley. I mean, it's just kind of middle of nowhere, backcountry Mississippi. Lots of trees, lots of hills, lots of wildlife. Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty low key. Yeah. Um, I grew up without internet, so you were either watching TV or outside doing something. Uh, thankfully, I think I spent more time outside doing stuff. Yeah. I'm I'm a big hunter because of that reason, and so uh, yeah. I mean, it's I definitely. Uh, would love to live there again at some point later in my life, but it's always home. Do you remember growing up, first time you, you got a little interest in golf, maybe played uh, were it somewhere at a putt-putt or saw it on TV? Uh, yeah, for sure. Dad or a family member or friend took you out. When, when did you start picking up interest and where, when did you find golf? For sure. So, you know, actually growing up as a kid, my dad was a football and a basketball coach. And so I, I grew up, did like at four or five years old, we were in uh, Russellville, Alabama. Was a, they were a 5A school at the time. They moved bigger now. Um, but he coached the high school golf team. Mm-hmm. And so I can. there are a few memories, like very faint memories I have from that young where I was on a golf trip with him or out in the front yard hitting like wiffle balls yeah. late, at, late in the evening. Um, that's kind of how I got started. Just he played. He started playing in college and then kind of got into it and coached it for a little bit. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just like every kid, he played every sport growing up and – when it got to kid pitch in baseball, I was like, I'm done. I'm out. I'm not having kids <laughs> throw baseballs at me. And I went all in on golf and basketball and then eventually golf. But, yeah, it was a very young age. Being around my dad who coached it and played, uh, he definitely had a big influence on me. Do you remember at what point when you were growing up, whether it was your dad or a coach or maybe even you playing, playing whether it was casually with friends or maybe starting to get in some small competitive stuff at the local clubs that you realized, hey, I've – I'm not just maybe developing faster than the other kids. I'm legitimately I've got I've got something here. Yeah, I think 
there were flashes of it through time. I think the the most notable one uh, was the summer going into my sophomore year. Uh, the previous year, my freshman year of high school, I had taken uh, – I'd gotten away from basketball. I was like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to play basketball this year. I'm only going to play golf and just see what happens. You know right. what I mean? I'm like, just going to see what happens. And so didn't play a lot of good golf but uh, <laughs> and was bored several several days out of the week just <laughs> practicing by myself all the time. Uh, but it was it helped in my growth. And that following summer, uh, I was playing in a tournament down in Montgomery, Alabama, and I shot a bogey-free 67, which was the first time I think I'd ever went bogey-free. And I won the tournament as a Southeastern Junior Golf Tour event. And I was like, holy crap, like that was imp- like I was impressed yeah. with myself. Yeah. Like I didn't really know that was in there. <laughs> and so when I got to that point, I was like, okay, I can definitely – Definitely can see this being my way to college and getting a scholarship and playing Division One golf and whatever. Definitely not playing Division One basketball. <laughs> so I'm not athletic enough or tall enough or fast enough or jump high enough to play basketball. <laughs> All the things required to be good. Right. So, yeah, that moment was definitely a defining moment for me when I won that SJGT. I was like, okay, we can, we can do this. Like I, I've got the ability to do this. So, yeah, it was super cool. It was a cool experience. How 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 valuable was it? I'm I'm sure now you really appreciate it because you, you just talked about when you when you kind of figured out, hey, this is what I like, and you decided to give up basketball and go full time with golf. Mm-hmm. But in that, you know, in this day and age, we hear from kids seven, eight years old. It doesn't matter if it's baseball or basketball or tennis or a golf. Their parents kind of saying. You've got to commit, and it's, it's crazy to hear. You got to commit at eight or nine years old. It yeah. kind of maybe it's because uh, your dad was a coach, and he figured out let, let him find his own path and yeah. find his own passion. That's uh, that's definitely I think the approach my dad and, and mom took uh, was to not try to force me into doing something. My dad played junior college basketball, mm-hmm. so he could have definitely been like, no, you need to play basketball, right? Um, which I actually ended up playing two more years after that, but. Again, like there's a point in time where you're like, all right, I just there's no way I can play college basketball. I love playing basketball, still love to play basketball, um, but this is not what's going to take me to college. And so, um, I, I'm I'm almost against like specializing in one sport because you learn so much from other sports that can be used in the sport that you choose. And I mean. Being a part of a team aspect is so much fun. Even and golf's different because it's individual, but you're still a part of a team. Right. And sometimes kids like don't know how to operate like with yeah. a team. You know, you got yeah. so many different personalities and people from all walks of life. So that taught me a lot. Being a part of a team and the competitive aspect, like golf, is not one that you're loud and like trash talking and yeah. everything. And there's a lot more of that that goes on in <laughs> basketball. And so you got to be able to take that on the run in a sense. You know, kind of kind of hit challenges head on and quick thinking and uh there's not any time in basketball to to complain about bad shots when you just got to go I think part of that mentality definitely transfers over where you like you brick four threes in a row and you ain't got time to cry on the bench like you're in the middle of the game you know it's the same as like missing three four footers in a row it's like well I mean too too bad I guess I mean just gotta go tap them in take my bogey Mm -hmm. and move on um I think it's a good thing for kids to – you don't want to be playing six sports as a senior in high school. Right. But I think to have at least a couple, uh, I think you learn valuable lessons from both as opposed to just doing one the whole time. So so you're leaving Meridian, a lot of success there. So I'm sure plenty, plenty of schools were looking at you. Uh, what, was it, what was it about Memphis and Coach Smart? Man, so that's a good question. Um, I remember when I got here – 
the facilities, like, I was like, okay, this is a place that I can get better. Like, what we have here on campus with the the Frank Flot, I mean, it is just perfect. I mean, with five minutes from main campus, um, I just saw myself being able to really get after it here and really hone in the skills that I had and the skills that I didn't have that I needed. I was going to be able to get those here uh, through Will and Coach Smart, their mm-hmm. knowledge of short game and wedges especially for me helped tremendously but their knowledge of the game in general and so I don't know I just I've never been one to uh really take on cities head on you know what I mean I grew up in Golden Mississippi Mm -hmm. there's 450 people there like we don't have a city and so for me I nothing nothing really interested me as far as uh we'll say extracurriculars as a college student (laughs) so for me to come here all I saw was this awesome golf facility and four golf courses that we get to play. And I'm like, this is freaking perfect. Like, I'm going to be doing nothing but golf all the time. And that's exactly what I did. Um, you know, if I don't went somewhere that had, like, access to hunting places and kind of in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> I probably would not have gotten as good. I'd have spent more time in a tree stand. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know. I just felt like this would be a place that all of us are here to accomplish one goal and we have this facility. Why would you not want to be getting better? I mean, it's awesome. So yeah, that, that's really what drew me here was the facilities. Yeah. All right. Uh, tell me about the experience getting to play, uh, play the pro level a little bit. This, the swing, uh, thought tour, the, the APT won an event. What, what was the experience like? It was an experience. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, um, man, I learned a bunch. A lot of things I would do different. No, not in, no regrets, but uh, a lot of things I would do different if I could go back. But yeah, it was. Uh, I remember having a conversation with with Coach Smart right before I left. He was like, "It's a freaking hard. It's hard." And I was like, "I don't care how hard it is. Like I'm ready to get after it. Like I've been wanting to do this my whole life." And he was not kidding. Like it is hard. Uh, you know, when you've got eleven, twelve hour car ride by yourself, yeah. a podcast can't keep you company enough. You're in your hotel room by yourself. You're trying to make money, so you're not broke. Um, for me, I had people. I, I got some investors together, so I'm trying to make their money back, which mm-hmm. I know, you know, whether they care about it or not. I mean, I just wanted to be able to to thrive and mm-hmm. play good. You know, that's that's the main focus. And so, it was a grind. I did a lot of the traveling plans by myself, and um, it was awesome though. Like I I played some good golf. I played some not so good golf, and learned a bunch on the way. And uh, I don't know if I'll ever go back to that arena, but uh, I'm very thankful for the short four months that I had just to kind of get a preview of what that life looks like for sure. I've talked to Coach Smart. Uh, I've talked to Jennifer, the tennis coaches too. Mm-hmm. When you play an individual sport like that, if people see, and they'll see it here pretty soon when the when the FedEx is played at Southwind, yeah. they see the high level and mm-hmm. they're in the dealer cars and they're staying at the nice hotels and they'll be the, the really high level guys might be in a private plane and the other guys yeah. will be in first class and commercial people don't realize first time i realized this i watched and you may have read the book uh, uh john feinstein's book a good walk spoiled and then you okay. read about okay these guys that are grinding even even when they come to a tour stop like memphis that may not be the stars they're they're trying to make money as you said to absolutely get to next week so they can try to keep their trot card try to get a card you talked about the tours you were in it's it's almost like i don't even want to say junior college it might be like just a group of friends in college let's all pile into one car yeah let's all get to a motel six or a night's in we'll all kind of chip in and put six to eight 
eight guys to a room. Absolutely. We're trying to grind just so we can afford to <laughs> to play this weekend. Absolutely. Uh, I got a story. So I'm going to a swing thought event in South Carolina by myself. It's 12 hours. And, of course, I did not plan ahead to get a Hampton Inn on the interstate halfway because I was just like, I'll, I'll find a place. Like, surely they'll be open. Well, there weren't any. I went to, like, I think I called two or three different Hampton Inns, nothing. And so it's, like, 12 or 1 o'clock. I'm exhausted from driving. And there was this little rinky-dink hotel across the street from a Hampton Inn. And I'm like, okay, I got to do it. Like, I'm not sleeping in my car. Like, I'm just right. going to go in and check it out. I knew it was going to be an interesting night when my receipt was like the old uh, double receipts where you write down. Paper. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the print, <laughs> your print is the one on the back that right. barely you can barely tell what it is. So I walk into the room, pull the sheets back. Of course, they're stained and disgusting. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to roll up on top of my sheets like a burrito, wake up at 7, leave. Um, and then eventually got to the golf course. The golf course was terrible. Like it wasn't a good a good track. Um, but yeah, I mean, people don't see that, you know, I, when I was down at Sanderson farms in 2020, complete polar opposite of that trip. Um, I was talking to a few of the guys I played a practice round with a few of the pros, like that had their PGA tour cards. And one of the best pieces of advice, uh, I think I got, and really just a piece of information in general was from one of those guys. I'm blanking on my guy's name, but, uh, Scott Piercy, I think it was, mm-hmm. yeah, it was Scott Piercy. He says to me, he's like, hey, this week, like, you just got to focus on you and just be in your own world. He said, you know, the not everybody sees the guys like us talking, pointing to himself. Because um, he's not, maybe not a household name, but if you watch PJ Tour Golf, like, you know who Scott yeah. Piercy is. I don't think he's ever won a major. He may have won a few PJ Tour events, but that dude's just grinding, making cuts, making money. And all you're seeing is top 15, like, all the guys way under par, mm-hmm. making hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like you said, you don't see those guys that are – like they need to make the cut to be able to pay their bills this month mm-hmm. or whatever. And so that really kind of opens your eyes into the world. That was before I turned pro, but it really opens your eyes. Like, man, there's a lot of guys down there close to the bottom or mid, you know, midway down the list that are like, it is, it is a lot, not life or death, but like, I got to eat. I got to have money to eat. You could be working at the Hampton in the next exactly, week. Exactly. Exactly. Or the one across the street, right. which you don't want to be working at. And so, uh, yeah, so, it, I mean, it was just eye-opening to see, like, how it's it's a, it's a struggle. Like, it really is. It's a freaking grind. I don't even know. I can't explain how much of a grind it is. So, I was fortunate to not have all that stress on me because I had people that kind of backed me along mm-hmm. the way. But I did play with a guy that was, like, 32, 33 years old, had a wife and two kids, and this dude's been grinding for like seven years on the mini tours. Like, I think he had his card one time on Corn Ferry. And I'm just like, man, how does a guy do that? Like, just the mental toughness you have to have and the support from your yeah. family and friends that you're around all the time. But, man, it was just unbelievable. And it's, it's definitely can be stressful for sure. All right. Where, where, did, where did the thought process come into? Uh, how long ago did you, did you think I might want to get into coaching at some point? <laughs> so at the end of 21, I was getting ready for Q school and I woke up one morning here in Memphis and had pain in my back uh-huh. when I moved certain ways, specifically when I was hitting golf balls, which I was like, this is not good. This feels like no other pain I've ever had before. It's just completely different. So took nine months away trying to recover from the back, like back issues. And I guess it was about midway through 22. I'm like, well, I don't think I'm going to be playing anymore. 
I'm not having surgery. So I got two options. I can either go back to school or get into coaching. And I was like, well, I freaking hated school. So why why would I go back to school? (laughs) So I was like, let's see if I can get into this coach. I think I might enjoy that. Um, You know, from the thought, the thought was that I've experienced a short term playing professionally, played college golf at a high level. I want to be able to, to pass off the information I have to hopefully help other people or other golfers specifically wherever I'm working uh, who want to pursue the same thing. And so started applying and got a job at Bowling Green and loved that first, loved the first year. And it was absolutely the right decision. You know, I'm, that's what I'm here for. I'm a resource to these guys, uh, to be able to help them and whatever they want to do. And, uh, yeah, that was kind of the thought behind it is like, definitely not going back to school. Um, but I want to be able to be around mm-hmm. golf and I think I can help. Like, I mean, I don't know everything, but I've had some different experiences and, could provide a different um, outlook or perspective on certain things uh, for these guys. So, yeah, that's that's why I, I got into it, yeah. What was that first job like? Because you're going into – it's a, diff, a different world. You're on the other side. It's easy to critique your swing and your game, but then you look at someone else. Yeah. Sometimes I know it doesn't translate into hit the ball better, putt the ball better. How, how do I get this person – where do I need to look at the very fine points of their game, and can I evaluate that and, and translate it to, you know, eight to ten different individuals who are all different and are going to learn different? Yeah, for sure. So my first job at, at Bowling Green State, I coached the men and the women, oh, so wow. I was assistant for both. Um, from a travel aspect, I loved it. Like I got to travel a bunch last year, places I'd never been to before. Um, but from the coaching aspect, it is interesting because. Like, I see things, right, that aren't correct, but when we're about to start the season, you can't go, okay, well, it's time to change this. You know what I mean? Like, you just hope and pray that it doesn't go horrible, and then at the end or when we have a long break, then you talk about it. So two instances in particular, uh, one with one of my guys and one with one of my girls. So one of my guys is a transfer from junior college uh, from England, um, both our first year at Bowling Green, and – he was trying to hit cuts and his everything about what he was doing said he needed to hit draws. And I'm just like trying to not tell him that he needs to hit draws. So we get to the end of the semester and I'm like, okay, like we're talking through the golf swing and all this kind of stuff. And I tell him like, your golf swing is to hit draws and it clicks and he starts hitting like, as we're talking, he's hitting shots. He's like, this makes so much sense, blah, blah, blah. And you could see the wheels turning and, um, it started getting better from that point. Uh, he, he struggled towards the end of the year, but it started getting better. And same with uh, the girl that I was working with. She was actually our best player last year, and there was just one thing she was doing that uh, every once in a while she'd hit a, like a really bad pull hook with her driver, or, or high irons in particular. And uh, knowing what it – trying to figure out what it was and then finding out what it was, like waiting for that time to tell her, like, okay, she needs to fix this. So we had a long gap in between our last event and our conference championship. And that's when I like started telling her this information, uh, what I was seeing and us talking through it. And after I told her, I was like, crap, like I hope I didn't just screw her game up. Like we're about to go to conference in three weeks. <laughs> and I'm like, I hope that she's able to take this in stride and like get better. And she did. She finished like, I don't know if it was because of me, but I had to get right. it off my chest because I'm seeing something that needs to be changed. Yeah. And thank God it didn't screw up. She finished second, I think, at conference. 
Um, she probably would have finished second regardless of what I told her. She's a good player. But, yeah, so you have to pick and choose your battles as a coach. Um, and at certain times, like, it has to be good timing. You know, you yeah. hope that it is at least. So definitely not a good time to do it in the middle of a tournament. Like, hey, you're kind of like – leaving your face open a little bit here. Like, you're just trying to feel the this, and, yeah. You definitely have to pick and choose your battles. Sure. It's pretty scary once they get onto the uh, onto the course and Absolutely. try to translate that. So, how do you get back to Memphis when you find out there's a an opening here? What's the contact like? Do you call or does Blake call? How, how did it all work yeah. out? So, it was really funny. So, I think it was around June 16th or 17th, I get a phone call from Will, and he's like, hey, I'm – deciding between here and here I don't know what coach smart's plans are going Mm -hmm. forward but just be prepared like you could get a phone call like okay I'm not gonna bother them like they got stuff going on and it wasn't probably it was either the next day I can't remember if it was the next day or if it was like a few hours after I got off the phone with Will I think it was the next day and coach smart calls me and I'm like well I know what this is about like I've been hoping this would happen and so, yeah, so coach called me. He's like, how you doing? Have you enjoyed coaching? Um, is something you see yourself doing? Uh, would you be interested in coming here? And I'm like, well, I mean, absolutely. Like, I'm not going to I'm not gonna at least entertain the conversation, right. not entertain the conversation. So, yeah, that's kind of how it went. And it was just, I mean, it's just like any job. I think my dad said it best. You hurry up to wait. Like, yeah. you, you do all this stuff and you get everything set. And then there's a process that has to be done with hiring everybody. So, it always takes longer than you want it, and it's just slow process. But, I mean, they got it done pretty quick. I think it was only open for, like, six, seven days. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, when he first called me, I was like, okay, this is this could be it. And uh, and it was. So my parents were super excited. I was excited. Uh, it feels good to be back here. But, yeah, that's kind of the process. I got two separate phone calls within a day of each other, and I was like, oh, crap, this is happening. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you're back now. We see you putting your office together. Yeah. Uh, See all the gear out of the hallway now that you're trying to get done as as the uh, the assistant here at Memphis. What all what all are uh, what all you got to do? What all are your are your duties? We see a few of them out there in the hallway yeah, right now. So you know all the gear out in the hall. This is kind of a new arena. I had helped uh, at Bowling Green do a little bit of the gear mm-hmm. stuff, but uh, now I've had to like do returns and place new orders. We're gonna have to put all this together and send a bunch of it back. So. Uh, I'll be, you know, responsible for that, ordering gear, returns, making sure our equipment room has got the right amount of stuff, you know, gloves, balls, all the fun stuff that everybody loves to do. Yeah. And uh, doing inventory. It's so much fun. <laughs> um, but then on top of that, recruiting, you know, traveling. I went and recruited uh, this past week here, a couple of last two weeks, actually, in Memphis. Um, I'll be going to Mississippi at some point to recruit, hopefully traveling internationally at some point. I hope Coach Smart hears that because I want to. I haven't been overseas yet. I'd like for <laughs> like for him to get the bug for me to go. <laughs> so, but no, uh, yeah. So recruiting, um, and you know, internationally and inside the U.S., whatever. Um, and also, I mean, helping build practices, helping get these guys ready to go when we hit the ground uh, pretty early this year, September second. I think we leave for our first events, so like first week of school, second week of school, maybe. Um, yeah, I mean, all the things. I mean, and. Obviously, I'm here to assist Coach mm-hmm. Smart in anything and everything that he asked me to do. You know, that's I, I want to learn a lot, and that's why I, of course, wanted to come here because I knew I would learn a ton under him. And so, um, yeah, that's pretty much a, a nutshell of what I do, I guess. 
tell me before we wrap it up, because I, I talked to Brooke about it uh, too, since it's going to be her first uh, assistant mm-hmm. coaching job. And I, you know, I always talk to new assistants when they get into it. To me, the cr- recruiting aspect is what would make me the most nervous yeah. because you go out regardless of a sport. Is it a good weekend or a good competition for the athlete? Did they just have a bad day? Yeah. You vet the parents and the coaches and friends and stuff, people that know them. You get to know about the character and stuff. And also there's the evaluation of is this an athlete that we can get compared to yeah. we can get this person, but you don't want to settle. There's so many things that go into uh, in, into that recruiting. And just frankly, you might catch someone on a really good day. That that may have been their only good day, but yeah. I mean, to you, they look like an All American that particular day. Exactly. I mean, I think for me, because while I was at Bowling Green, I got hired super late. Mm-hmm. I mean, my first my first day up there was August second, so you're basically almost done with all your summer right. recruiting at that point, and you're gearing more towards people coming back, getting ready to go. And so, uh, I only recruited like maybe two or three times mm-hmm. up there. It wasn't a ton. Um, here, I've, I mean, my second day on the job, I was recruiting. And so I'm sure A.J. Osborne in compliance is like borderline <laughs> blocked my number because I called and texted him so much like, can I talk to this person? Am I allowed to do this? Am I allowed to say that? And just learn. I mean, just learning, you know, because, I mean, obviously we have to do compliance. One of the rules change constantly. Yeah, exactly. And so just making sure I'm not screwing up anything yeah. and getting us in trouble that coming from the golf. I mean, right. we don't need to be doing that. And so – yeah, so I mean, it, just a lot of learning on on the rules side, but also learning how signs to look for, mm-hmm. learning what the signs to look for in the kid, in their parents, how their parents react to how their kids play, whether it's good or bad. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's always a learning process. I have my things that I look for and that I really don't like to see or like to see from a yeah. kid or their parents. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting to see. I mean, it's kind of have flashbacks of like me. Being out yeah. there and be like, I hope I wasn't doing that. Or like, man, I just, why didn't I do that when yeah. I was their age? Like those kind of things. But yeah, it's very interesting. It's very interesting, the recruiting aspect. Well, I know it'll be a, a lot of fun, a lot of work. Isaiah, we're glad to have you back here in Memphis. And yes, thanks sir. for taking out some time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Ivan Jordan. This has been Inside Memphis Athletics, the official podcast of the Memphis Tigers. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review however you listen. The preceding has been a Learfield IMG College presentation of the Memphis Tigers Sports Network. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California, subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.